1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Now... On to my guest for today, Steve Taylor, partner with the Franchise Consulting Company and former franchise owner. Steve grew up in Fresno and started his career in the Navy. After that, he worked in Silicon Valley, but always felt like a square peg in a round hole. He bought a flooring franchise and owned that business until recently when he sold it and joined the Franchise Consulting Company. The firm represents over 300 companies to help develop and promote their franchises and connect them with franchisees. Steve also meets with franchisees to help them and advise on setting up their own franchises. The concept of franchising is as old as the first private corporation, East India Company, which was basically a franchise of the king. Franchises come in a variety of models. When people usually think fast food restaurants is the most common type of franchise, Steve says that 70% of franchises are actually not restaurants. The major benefit of franchise is that you reduce the risk involved. You are buying the rights to set up a business using a particular brand and process that already is proven to work. The classic model of fast food restaurant retains their flag stores to test out new products, but most of their business is generated through franchises, right? Franchisees also benefit from the help and support from not only the company, but other franchisees as well. Now, let's get better together. Steve Taylor, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, Jerry. It's good to be here.
1: Well, I appreciate you being here. You are just kind of over the east, over in Pleasanton. Uh, I'm here in San Francisco it's almost a San Francisco summer. It's about to get really cold. <laughs> and it's about to get really hot where you are, because I can always tell, for those of yeah. you that don't know about San Francisco, if you ever come visit here in the summer, bring a wet. <laughs> because it's, it's horrible. Um, but when it's horrible cold here, where where Steve is, it is ridiculously hot, California-wise, right? So I,
2: so, so I would put a little bit different.
1: Okay. Where okay. I
2: live, I'm surrounded by vineyards and, uh, the odd brewery and, um, it's warm. We have a pool and we use it and we got an outdoor barbecue and we can stay outside till 11 o'clock at night. I've got an outdoor TV. Um, and whereas, uh, Jari would be, uh, uh, literally, it, freezing his, uh, yes. his ears off. Um, I'm really enjoying a pleasant evening in the summer <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, so that, that's how I would describe it.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Well, that's always the we always like to fight about that the uh, city folk and the eastern folk, but yeah, um, country folk, country folk, quote unquote, <laughs> right? So, uh, <laughs> so you're a, you're a partner over at the franchise consulting company, which I find really fascinating because it has to do with franchises, not only you know helping people. Uh, set them up for themselves, but also helping companies set up their own franchising. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, we rarely talk about kind of the businesses that are the, I don't know, Americana, bread and butter, blue collar kind of stuff. Usually it's tech, SaaS, blah, blah, blah. Um, But there's definitely a different facet to that as an entrepreneur. So can't wait to dig into all that. But um, as I always like to say on the first question is always the same. I'm pretty, pretty consistent in this. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Uh,
2: sure. I would be happy to, Jari. The uh so um uh so I I just just a warning, I'm kind of sarcastic and I think I'm funny. So um hopefully this uh uh this isn't overwhelming to your podcast users, but um, I think it all started in my youth uh, in uh, in Fresno, California. I grew up in Fresno. I was the youngest of three sons, um, and uh, ended up going to the Naval Academy. and my, my My parents, before my oldest brother was born, moved from San Diego uh, up to to Fresno. And a couple of years after I left to go to college, they they moved back to San Diego. And if you know the geography in California at all, you probably realize why. Um, But but anyways, I went to the Naval Academy, served in the Navy, um, frankly, all over the world, enjoyed that. It was a great, um, uh, it was a great experience for me and um, uh, ended up in the Bay Area. I left the Navy, worked in um, Silicon Valley uh, for a number of years, but always felt like uh, it was kind of a a uh, square peg and a round hole type thing, things just didn't quite make sense to me at times. And uh, some things did, and it was exciting. And it was fun. But eventually, I started my own business, which turned out to be a franchise. Uh, very different uh, flooring, uh, retail and contracting. And about three years ago, I sold it, and, uh, sold the final piece of it last fall. Um, and uh, during that transition period, I... Uh, uh, I came aboard as a partner with uh, Nick Nianakis and the Franchise Consulting Company, and we've been doing uh, a number of different things. The two primary things we do do um, is number one, we uh, we work and represent about 350 to 400 franchise concepts, um, uh, promoting those uh, to individual buyers who want to purchase franchise- franchises, franchises, franchises franchises. There we go. Uh, I should know that. Huh? And then we also work with companies. Um, we we have a great soup to nut solution. Let's say you have a have a business, maybe you have two, three locations um, and wants, want to explore a growth strategy using franchises. Franchising.
1: Interesting. And just can you just briefly talk about what a franchise is? I mean, I know some people may understand. I just like to get like the simple explanation because, you know, there's different types of franchising and depending on what you're looking at. And the reason this comes to the top of mind is I remember, I think I got a copy of Entrepreneur Magazine the other day. Uh-huh. Literally, it was like the franchise edition. And I'm just looking through it. and It's like, oh, top 200 franchises. in the And I'm like, I didn't even know there was that many. So yeah, if you could just sort of just quickly because sure devil set. sure
2: and and you know there's a lot of misconceptions so um uh so quickly what what you're doing as a franchisee is you are renting uh some type of proprietary knowledge some type of IP if you will um in exchange uh uh, uh you know you're you're paying to rent that and that could be trademarks that could be any number of different things. So, two things I want to point out. Number one, there is a very long history of franchising. Um, You know, I, I don't know. I I love history, and uh, the East India Company is. um, You you know, when was it for the the fifteenth or no? I'm sorry. The oh 17th no,
1: East India. That was like 1600s. So like yeah, six, yeah. So that was the actual. Interestingly enough, I know you love history. That was the actual first private company chartered like usually they were kings that had all this money or queens or whatever they were like the first publicly they were the first public corporation which is just fascinating like you're like really 1600 something like 1600 1640 i don't remember but yeah
2: yeah so so my point is they were uh they were a franchise right they um the king gave them the charter to go somewhere and do something in exchange for that, they provided benefit back to the king. So um, the uh, today's franchise isn't that much different than that. And...
1: Um, I mean, there, sans it, the racism and all those
2: well, things. Well, you know, I, I, I suppose they're... They're a little different. You know, I was going to make a joke about Ku Klux Klan franchising, but... <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I, I won't. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't. In today's environment, I mean, it just yeah, wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah.
1: Good, better part but, of valor, better part of valor. Yeah,
2: my, <laughs> my <laughs> which again, if you know me, it's uh, yeah, that was near miss. The um, but but my point my point being is this has been around a long time, and um the the deal is is the king didn't have the money and the people. Uh, to expand his brand, right? So he gave up some control. Uh, He gave up some upside for a consistent revenue stream. And that is very, that's what McDonald's does. That's what Burger King does. You know, everyone else does, um, or a modern franchise does. The other thing I want to point out is there are a huge amount of models. A lot of people think, oh, well, McDonald's. Well, yeah, McDonald's, but but food franchises really are less than thirty percent of the franchises. There are about four thousand franchises registered in the u s and about thirty percent of them are restaurants. So that's a big segment. But what that means is there are seventy percent again, my 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 knowledge of math, you know I can just spew out those numbers. Seven percent seventy percent of those companies are non-food, and that could be business to business, that could be. Um, you know, it could be bookkeeping, it could be some things you haven't even heard of. And um in, in fact, I would I would say there are a lot that I had never heard, and I'm, I'm seeing new concepts every day that had never occurred to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting you bring up that only 30 percent are restaurants. Um, because that's interesting because that's what you think of. You think of the McDonald's, the TGI Fridays, I guess. I mean, that's, I think that's the interesting thing. I don't always quite understand. There's the corporate, like corporate company. And then sometimes corporations will have their own store or then they'll franchise out a store. I think, I mean, Starbucks, I think does this, or at least they were doing that. Or it, it, it always gets muddled because, oh, you know, let's just say, let's give it McDonald's. That's the best example. So there could be I think corporate-owned McDonald's and then franchise-owned McDonald's, or is it just all like? I, I
2: typically um, like I I don't know McDonald's specifically, but 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 let me give you a typical scenario. Let's say uh, um, you know you've got a couple uh, you know taco trucks and they're they're really kind of cool and they really work. What I would do in my role as a developer would come alongside you, make sure all the administrative paperwork's in place, um, you know, make sure you're aligned with different people, uh, different entities, say, you know, maybe finance, maybe operations or a food vendor or whatever. And then we'd blow it out. You would hold on to those. In a lot of cases, you would hold on to those two trucks to use as test kitchens or as use test cases or whatever, um, but then uh, you would end up with a thousand food trucks that were franchised around the country around the world frankly um, that's very typical. I believe McDonald's does that, but they might be so big. well, I'm sure they have individual test kitchens but but I know um, I'm thinking of a couple food brands I represent. They maintain their corporate owned stores for so they can roll out things first there before they roll roll them out to the franchisees.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think isn't In and Out is that a franchise model or? I believe those are all
2: corporate owned. Okay. Um, okay. Chick fil A is um, their franchises, uh, but it's a very different franchise model. Wonderful people, by the way, uh, but a very different model than we represent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, things like Yum Brands is a big
1: right, right. I was going to say
2: franchise ownership.
1: That's like Taco Bell and.
2: Yeah, I think for a long time they also owned um, Burger Kings or, yeah. you know, I I don't know you know, you know I know the name but but right right that that's a different um, galaxy in, in, <laughs> I, uh, in which I typically well, what, what, what's a,
1: what's a what's like a non-food brand that's a franchise that people may not know is a franchise? Do you have one offhand?
2: Um, something like fast signs or oh, okay. That's, That's a franchise. Um, very successful franchise. In fact, uh, um, you know, I've got to I've got to jump on a call with a company called Lawn Doctor. Hmm. Um, all they do, they maintain lawns and you think, oh, well, where's the money in mowing lawns? Oh, no. A lot of money. <laughs> oh, no. That is a very old and very, very profitable. Pool,
1: Pool maintenance, too, is another one that. A lot of people that can also that's also I think franchisable. I'm not sure the, the, the players, but
2: yeah, there's absolutely there's you know, and actually that's that's ripe for expansion because um there are a lot of um you know one uh one truck pool maintenance guys. Mm-hmm. And uh that's you know, when you're looking at developing a franchise, where's where's an industry ripe for um um you know uh for uh, I'm trying to think of the word but
1: improvement, yeah. improvement you know where and you know everything. a
2: guy with a clean shirt yeah. and a a, a a truck with both tail lights that work sometimes <laughs> that, that's easy. you know and you 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 put together the software do you get integrated in real world um yeah. you uh, uh uh you know put a call center in so you don't have a guy yeah, 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 yeah. Talking on the the cell phone trying to write down in a in a calendar while driving down the road. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. I and mean, pool, there's some awesome uh new pool service companies. It's just funny, they kind of top of mind, but that's a great example.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think the interesting thing about the franchise model, you know, as opposed to like, okay, quote unquote traditional entrepreneurial. I come up with a great idea. Wow, yay. I think the interesting thing about the franchise model is that they've proven the business model and, like, the e myth, right? They have this is the playbook, this is the blueprint, this is the documentation, whatever it is. Now, of course, since you're not inventing that from scratch, you obviously have to pay some sort of fees or whatever. But do you have any numbers on like success rates? Like, what I find interesting is that. You know, let's say you wanted to be an on get into the entrepreneur game, you know, could could be whatever. And you know what? I really don't want to go and like event, invent something. I'd rather start off with like a franchise. Do you, is there like, I would assume they generally are going to be a little more successful than start from scratch. But I, I'm not it, sure. How does that all work? You, you know, I, <laughs> um,
2: so, so take this with the, a small grain of salt. I don't have numbers I don't know if they exist. I've never found any numbers that I I feel like I could I could commit to, right? But that said, everything I have read, even the Wall Street Journal ran an article about uh um how franchises versus independent restaurants did during the pandemic, for example. And the restaurants did extraordinary, extraordinarily better, and um, so um, again, you can do your own research. I mean, it's pretty easy. Google in, you know. I'm sure Inc. probably has something. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there are numbers available out there. But but typically they do better. And there's um, there's kind of a catchphrase, but it it also makes sense, right? Uh, you're in business. Uh, for yourself, but not by yourself, and you know, think uh, when the pandemic hit. If I was an independent business, um, you know, trying to get money in the door and food out the back, or you know, whatever it is, you don't have a lot of time. And any business owner knows this. You don't have a lot of time. to scratch your chin and say, "Huh? Well, I heard on the news today there's a pandemic. How that's going to affect me?" But what as a franchisee, typically the franchisor is tied to your success. They have that global, both responsibility, that obligation, but also that imperative to fix it or to anticipate big changes and, and leveraging, you know, in the case of food, I mean, I'm thinking of one brand actually um, based here in the East Bay in Danville, uh, but they very quickly rolled out. It was, um, um you know, like a smoothie, uh, 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 a healthy restaurant option. They ran out, uh, they developed an app, for example, so people could go online, order and pay online, right? In the first month of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, to the point where restaurant owners were having their biggest months ever after a couple months. And they're like, I don't even know why I opened a dining room. I put a table out front, people pay up front. Or pay online. We leave the drinks out front. They pick them up. Easy peasy. Yeah. And And um, and I and I and then you contrast that against an independent restaurant. There, I mean, I I know in my own city in Pleasanton, very very nice place, but um, their independent restaurants gone out of business. Um, I believe for reasons that were entirely preventable.
1: So. Yeah. No, I mean, there was a couple in my neighborhood, my old neighborhood, where. They thought the pandemic was only going to last a couple of weeks, shut down, and then never opened again. And it was a it was a chain. And I think, I think the interesting thing about that is, and I think you're right, it, it it the the support network of, you know, we've got kind of got your back, or look, this is what the global world is saying or looking like. This is how we think you should adapt to it. Because you know, if you've done anything with small business owners, if you I used to be a, a counselor at score, I mean, I know I'm not that old, but <laughs> I it was a point where I'm like, oh, you know, I'll just do this. I had some time. And the 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 whole thought process of process efficiency, the, the whole E-Myth thing, which is just spot on, right? Right. Because they're working in it, not on it, right? And any little disruption. Any little, like the thing just flies off the rails because they're not thinking, how do I put up these guardrails to make sure I'm okay? They're literally, you know, the people say they live paycheck to paycheck. Some of these businesses, it's literally like day to day, you know, and the accounting yeah. is a box, shoe box full of receipts, maybe, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's why it's interesting to have that infrastructure.
2: Well, you, you know, something I, I meant to mention before, um, uh, when, when you're looking at, let's say you're an investor looking at franchises, um, and if you, your background and score probably speaks to this, but, but you're able, or let me put it another way, I won't represent a company that doesn't facilitate conversations between prospective franchisees and current franchisees. So you can actually, um, you can uh, get a lot of information from current franchisees, you know, you know, about profitability, you know, hard numbers, you know, just just depending on your approach. And, you, you know, hey, um, this development team at the franchisee, by the way, are very, you know, they're salespeople, right? So I'm not going to cast aspersions on salespeople, but they're very motivated, very intelligent people to to move franchises, right? Um, they're telling me this. Has that been in your experience, or how have you how have you dealt with um, um, I don't you know, you know A, B, and C employee retention, you know, or you, you know supply disruptions or whatever, and you get the real the real skinny from them, right? In my case. Franchisees I spoke to thirteen years ago, fourteen years ago, when I was investing in my first franchise, I'm still close to. I, I mean, yeah, they were they were my first stop when I had business problems. So, I again, that I guess that comes under um, uh, benefits of franchise ownership and yeah. Yeah. you know opportunity if you had a business that you wanted to franchise, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's also you know we always talk about scale. For any kind of startup, right? Right. And you know, usually it's pretty classical, you know, startup is get an idea, does it really work? So you get this thing called product market fit, or you get a minimum viable product, then you go to the market. Oh, get product market fit, who knows? Right. Once you've kind of understood that, then there's the whole this go-to-market strategy, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm ramping into this. Then you start to get the hmm, how do I go from the place I am because each level is a, it, it takes a different skill. It takes a different mindset, you know, going from zero to hero, right. To me is $0 in revenue to like a million in revenue. That's a catastrophically <laughs> hard thing. Right? Yeah. You cannot put, there is not enough emphasis on how hard zero to hero is, but million to 10 million, 10 million to a hundred million, 10 million to 20 million. That's when it's not about the innovation. It's about, what franchises, I think, do really well, which is the process, the business process. This is the efficiencies of scale. This is how we scale. And there's a massive disconnect, right? So if you find yourself as an entrepreneur or just as a general human, not as much attention to detail in terms of doing that kind of thing, the process, or figuring out what works, it seems to me that like the franchise model is like, here's the playbook. Yeah. And, you know, within reason, of course, you may have innovations on your own, but it seems like a good option for, for folks that, and I think you have to have some capital, right? Like there's no, you just, it's not like a zero down kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
2: typically um, there you're, you're, you're getting access to IP. So, so you're going to pay a franchise fee, um are usually upfront costs um uh and then if you're you're purchasing a brick and mortar uh you know build out costs for a commercial facility and that can range you know if you have a second generation medical office and you have a medical franchise maybe that's zero but if you're building out a McDonald's it could be multi million dollars just yeah. kind of depends in addition to everything else yeah um, but let me let me uh, reflect on a book i read I don't know a while ago, but I, I believe it was by Michael Dell, and he talked about Dell Computer strategy, and that was uh, fast follow, and what that means for those of you who don't know, they weren't, they're not, Dell is not necessarily cutting edge technologically, uh, but what they can do is follow the technology, or at least at the point where that book was was written, right, um, and that's that's essentially what a franchisee. A franchise is right again. You don't go to um, I want to stop using McDonald's because I don't represent them.
1: And, <laughs> Here's uh, one you represent, I think. Yeah, let, let's see, let's let's, let's 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 get some promo in here.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, well, although let's say, uh, 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 you know, Foster's Freeze, you don't go to Foster's Freeze because they have the best, um, best hamburgers in the world, although I think they're pretty good, but um. But you go there because you know, or Dairy Queen—that's another good example. You know you're going to get the same thing. You're going to get uh, a product that's going to your 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 child's going to love, or you're going to you're you know what you're getting for. You're there's a consistent level of customer service and food quality and X, Y, and Z. So um, yeah, I mean that's that's what it's about. It's not. And the, and the other thing is, I'll use myself as an example. I'm, I'm not Thomas Edison or Elon Musk or anything. I'm not going to come up with the next great, you know, newest mousetrap, right? But, but I'm confident I can work harder than most people. And I am confident that I know how to treat people in a way they, uh, they'll come back for more. And um, I'm confident I can read a manual. An operations manual and execute a plan. Yeah, those type of things. Those are, and I'm open to coaching. I mean that, and that I can't overemphasize that. Those are the people. We are the people that make great franchise owners. Um Yeah, yeah. I use things. You know, again, I'm kind of going on here, but but Elon Musk. I I love following Elon Musk. I I have a Tesla. Solar roof. I have just been amazed by SpaceX and everything they've done, and the Tesla automobile, and the, you know, fill in the blanks. Right? He would suck as a franchise owner. Oh,
1: yeah, totally.
2: You, you know, because he would break, you know, hey, we got the software we want you to use. Oh, well, it doesn't automatically tweet my location or what, and he'd be breaking it, right? And I and I say that in all respect and love. No, I'm uh, glad you brought that up because but,
1: yeah, it's a different mindset.
2: Yeah, totally, and that's okay. We need those people in America. Thank goodness we've got an African American uh, that decided to to move to America and and do what he's done. It's just amazing. Yeah. But terrible franchise owner. Sorry
1: yeah. About that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I, and I like this distinction because um, a lot of times, so, you know, I'm always, a, I'm always like talk about the blue collar work ethic. And I think more tech entrepreneurs should really embrace this idea because I have a tremendous respect for blue collar workers that the skill level, the, the the dedication, the smarts, like the ingenuity. I'm like a big fan because I really think it's not talked about enough that being an entrepreneur, the attitude is it's mostly the blue-collar work ethic. It's really not the creativity. Now, for a SaaS startup, for these ones where you're starting from scratch, yes, there's a creativity in the beginning. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you got to know what you're doing, but the generally, and I'm going to say 80% of it, to be honest, is blue-collar work ethic. How are you going to build this thing so that it's reproducible? It's time certain in terms of revenue models and everything. And well, while that mix may be leaning a little less than 80% in the beginning, chances are like what you're building someone's built before and you're just doing it in a different way, right? And so that's the reason why I think the blue collar work ethic kind of ethos, for lack of a better word, is just not championed enough and I, and I and i and the innovation in a franchisee or franchisor like coming up with how you can basically train anyone to do your business kind of like the military right you look at a military manual and you're like this is sesame street simple to do i mean you could take an 18 year old kid and they're like we're going to teach you how to you know maintain or an f18 right or that missile guy, like. You would be shocked. You read some of these managers like you are be shocked at how simple it is, like turn this bolt this way. And not to diminish, like that does take some intelligence, but I th- honestly think the military has done a pretty good job of, like they can take anyone within reason, right? And teach them a job and make them productive. And whatever you think about the military and all that, that's amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. That, and I think that's what franchise are do. I, there is a certain amount of innovation and art in that that I think a lot of entrepreneurs can learn from because it is super important that when you hit a certain point, your mindset shifts from Elon Musk to, you know, being an, being the blue-collar operator. Doing
2: re- repeatable yeah. um, business, but... Let, let me, I, I'm going to go back to McDonald's because this, this speaks directly to this. So so one of my favorite high school teachers, um, he retired um, from the school district, I want to say in the late 80s, but he took a job teaching English in Poland, in Krakow, Poland, I believe it was Krakow, but not a lot of Western influences, but but he was, he was, he um, um, I gotta t- I met him in London. I was still in the Navy and he was still, he was still there. He flew over. We spent a weekend together. Just um great guy, great friend. But he, he's like, you you know, I am living on what was it, the the salary of a teacher in Poland. And I'm just putting all my other money aside because I want to live the life they are. And he says, My one treat to myself every week is Sunday. I go and have dinner at McDonald's. There's a McDonald's that opened. And he says, Steve, you wouldn't believe the state of customer service in that city, with the exception of the McDonald's. He says, there are people with smiles on their faces, pushing brooms. And it's, it's, a, it's a mindset change. And he says, no matter what you think about McDonald's, they are changing the economy in Poland. And look at Poland now—thirty, you know, thirty years later—and they are. Um, yeah, I've been told that Poland. I'll pro- we'll probably get letters from Polish people, but Poland would be willing to become the fifty-first state of the U.S.
1: Um, I mean, and I
2: don't know if that's a measure of a success
1: or Well, not. no. Well, so no, you make you make a good point because I was actually, funnily enough, watching a show about the Polish army. And the readiness of the Polish army to stave off an invasion from Russia, of course, because we're talking about Ukraine's been invaded, and that's around this time, right? So Poland's part of NATO, and they, to your point, when they, when the east, when they got out of the Eastern Bloc, and they decided, okay, how are we going to be independent? They made a very, they, they made a tough decision, but a very shrewd decision. They said, we want to be more democratic. And we're going to start by eliminating corruption in the army. Now, you may think, what does that have to do with anything? Well, if you are a student of history, like you and I are, and you've seen anything related to the war in Ukraine and the capability of the Russian army, you will know for a fact how corrupt it is. And the reason why this, this, so this corruption is the reason why it's bogged down in the Ukraine. Like, no ands, ifs, or buts about it. And it's because the leadership, the, the officers, right, the field officers' attitude was corrupt. I mean, they steal stuff from them, like, full stop. Right, right. That degrades readiness or whatever. So Poland said, we're not going to do that. We are going to overhaul this. We're actually going to root out corruption. Why is that important? For exactly the reasons you talked about when it comes to quality and consistency. When people are aligned, that the benefits to what they're doing come back to them, as opposed to gaff. And I mean, just, I mean, again, it's not saying everything's perfect. Me in the US, we're not perfect, but you can clearly point out corruption everywhere. But there's a certain level of like, we're not going to tolerate, and we have checks and balances. And that's what Poland was trying to do. And yeah. what's interesting is that, you know, that was like, what, 94 when they got out of the Warsaw Pact? There I think was some, it was
2: more like 89. 89, the right? Where like, wall came down. Yeah, yeah.
1: around the wall. So, so, right. So, and they were making this progress. And even in their military, they decided, you know what? We don't need a military anymore. We're going to reduce it down, right? And we're going to make sure it has certain things. Well, 2014, they said, oh, my gosh. Uh, we probably have to do something about this, right? Because I don't know if they saw the writing on the wall or whatever, but then they started building it back up. And the reason I bring this all up is because what you talked about, about Poland is one of the most democratic growing economies from the Eastern Bloc in Europe, actually a model for how that transition happened. And that attitude about the people in that McDonald's and how it was spreading, they embraced, to your point, being coachable. This is how we do things, right? That's incredible. And well, I think so, that is the testament to the idea of innovation through process. Like, I think that's what franchisers do.
2: Yeah. the um, I mean, if I could put a neat bow, I call it the rule of law being dedicated to the rule of law as opposed to the rule of personality.
1: Yeah. And you see that. I mean, you look at any corruption index, right. And, and you look at, you look at the players in any political system, even here, right. It doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on. And I call it spectrum because people are sometimes on the spectrum and are get all whacked. It's like, no, 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 no. Follow the money. (laughs) Look at where these things are going. Right. Like, It ain't, it's not all what it seems, but we still have like there's a free press, there's rules, and whether you like more government or less government, whatever, like the rule they set the rule. If we all play by the same rules, then that's great. We're playing to your point. I'm a hard worker, Uh, there's no one that can outwork me. They can out, they can if the deck is stacked against you, and I think that's the reason why franchisees and franchisors are just such a powerful tool or powerful model. A tool is not a right word, powerful model, because, hey, man, you want to work hard? We know this works. We've done it 25 times before. Have at it. And, oh, by the way, we're here to make sure you're successful. That's a pretty powerful thing. And I don't think, again, not talked about enough. It should be. and And I think, I think also, where where it comes into play is we talked a little bit about this before is it um you're actually helping veterans become franchise owners which i think is a very one very needed i mean our veterans need all of our support um for their service and uh, you know your, your service was is much appreciated but also i mean coming out of the military i mean i've never been in but i have buddies that are, i mean like my guess is they're pretty good at it considering it's like here's the book, go for it. You know, is that true? Or am I just like fantasizing about, it? I don't
2: know. No, no. Uh, what is it? One out of uh, seven franchise owners, I believe has a military veteran background. Um, and you're exactly right. I mean, there are two things. I mean, as veterans, um, you learn how to read and execute a plan. Um, but, um, also, how to uh, keep the, the mission in um, inside right? I, I think it was Colin Powell that said, um, maybe it was uh, Jim Matthews, uh, but but um, no no op plan uh, survives first contact, right? So uh, once the bullets start flying, uh, difference between a successful and unsuccessful soldier is someone who can transition from you, you know reacting to the bullets to focusing on the mission and how i'm going to accomplish it now
1: yeah i think and then yeah. general Mateus said the same thing the, yeah what was it the uh most important petraeus no the, i think it was Mateus. he said the most important six inches on the battlefield is between your head or <laughs> between your ears i mean one of those guys did but
2: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. what Yeah, but, but it's true. It's true. It's the same thing with, uh, how do you, how do you keep moving forward, um, both literally and figuratively, uh, with franchise. And, um, I know for me, sometimes it was a struggle, right. And, um, um, yeah, I, I mean, I would love to talk about how I made the decision to sell, but I think that's a story for a different day, but, um, Um, you, you know, I think, um, I think as owners, as presidents, as executives, that as managers, we owe our employees a couple things. And one is, um, the tools to be successful, whatever those tools are. And then number two is a vision. And that, and that's about it. What is the vision? The vision is to serve a hamburger to everyone within a five mile radius or, um, to replace 10% of the signs in our community with this 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 new lighted sign we're selling or whatever it is. What's the vision? That's our goal as owners, as leaders. And then providing the tools. Sometimes that tool is, you know, some additional training or guidance in, in particular areas. Uh, sometimes it's a new screwdriver, right? Sometimes it's a truck that doesn't break down. I have one of those trucks and I had to get a repair, but, um, that's where it comes to And the the franchise gives you that opportunity to define what are the tools? Um, what is the vision? Um, how we're going to help you get there and, um,
1: yeah, move forward. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, this has been a great conversation. I think it's, uh, one of those things we could go on forever, but, uh, I really appreciate your time. And, uh, it's just, you can always learn a ton from different things, you know? And I think that's the thing that I always take away from these interviews as well as like different perspectives. And so I appreciate your perspective on franchising, the power of it, the importance of it. And, um, yeah, good luck, stay safe and, uh, we'll be in touch.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry.
1: Thanks, Steve, for being on the show and a excellent discussion about how franchises um, never knew that most of them aren't restaurants. So, Here, as promised, are your actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Steve. A franchise requires upfront capital, but buying a franchise can be a good way to start a business if you don't have specific product or services ready to offer, providing you're willing to work hard, follow a process, and accept help. So, yeah, one of the you know major benefits, obviously, is that they sort of have a playbook for how to do it, um, and that is, can be beneficial if you're just starting out or, you know, you don't know really what to do. Um, as he did mention, they do have upfront costs, so you got to worry about that. But if you are thinking about being an entrepreneur and you really don't have a product yet, I mean, you can ask yourself the questions like, is a franchise right for me? Um are there anything I'm in, in particularly interested in? Do I have experience? Maybe it's a plumbing franchise or some other thing that you may be able to use your skills. And um, it's just as entrepreneurial because you actually have to go in and, you know, get market share in a market that may or may not be, you know, may not have that service in there. So it's, it's definitely something to think about, and it's an interesting interesting way to go. Franchises are generally more successful than other types of startups. Steve notes that franchises were well-suited to pivot quickly when the pandemic hit. Corporations can provide tools and brainpower to help make this happen. So the thing about a franchise, obviously, is that um, there is a vested interest in making it successful. So even though you have to pay up front, get the licensing or whatever, the corporate folk, um, you know, they see the entire landscape. There's also some economies of scale, right? So – If you do want to uh, pursue it, uh, there is going to be some support. Now, my guess is there's some that are better than others like anything, but I think generally, you know, the model is if, if you're successful, then other, you know, other people are successful and there's a group of people in that same business that can help you, right? I think that's also the power of it. So, you know, think it's good to think about, right? Not, you know, not maybe as creative, but you can make it as creative as you want, right? Franchising can help businesses grow once you've reached a certain point. So consider this as part of your growth strategy. So let's say you own your own business and you want to make it into a franchise. This is sort of um, the e-myth kind of methodology. Well, while, you know, don't work uh, in your business, work on your business, build processes into control. So if you are thinking about it, you know, ask yourself the question, hey, um, how much of my processes are documented? Is this easily scalable? Can I teach someone else to do this? I mean, that's a very important and very powerful thing because as you kind of get more and more uh, into your business, you may find that, um, yeah, you can franchise it. So definitely something to think about for growth. Well, there you have it, the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Steve. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits